but anyway, so I was, I was lying in bed on, on, on Monday morning, as you do, or I don't usually. So it was like 6 a.m. Actually, it was 5.48. And, and I was woken up. And this is what I heard. I heard, not audibly, but inside, really strongly, God's voice say, get up, son, we're going to write a book. So I did what I do. I got out and went to my desk. Didn't even go out, went to my desk. And I said, what are we going to write about? He said, you're going to write about James. You're going to write a book on the book of James. And I, I kind of immediate reaction, can, can I not have an easier one? Because James is kind of challenging. But I believe God's challenging us. Let me, uh, let me just read you a couple of verses that I've been looking at. And it's James chapter 1. I'm not sure we can get the verses up on the screen. If we can, that's amazing. If we can't, guys, you'll have to use your Bibles for change. James chapter 1. Here's what you don't want to hear. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The actual word there translated actually means patient endurance. So some of you might have got patience, but it's patient endurance. And I'm looking at that because like, if you're going to write a book on the book of James, you need to start at the beginning. It was, and, and I look at that and I thought, well, that's really kind of, God, how do you expect us to count it joy when we're in a, a bad situation? How, specifically, God, how do you expect us to count what, what our country and our church and, and people are going through right now as joy? And he said a, a, a few things about that. Firstly, he said joy is not a feeling, it's a belief. Yeah. And here's the thing. We can count trials joy because if we trust God they will be turned to his glory. You see, you can count a trial joy because you look through to the end. Nobody counts a trial joy when they're in the middle of it. That, that word count is kind of, uh, it's an accounting term, which means to reckon it up. It's not a go, oopee sort of thing. It's a, I've taken a measured, thoughtful approach to this, and I've concluded that from my experience with God, I can count joy in this situation because I know a few things about this situation because I've seen it before. And this situation is when we come out the other side of it, God will be glorified. And when we come out the other side of it, providing I've, I've stood firm, I will have learnt a few things. I will be stronger. I will be more like Christ. And therefore, I can have joy even in the worst situation because I know what it's going to turn out like. That, that's what he's saying. And, and that's really important for us to know at the moment because there will be moments, even next week, where, where, where each of us will probably find ourselves tempted to go over into fear and anxiety. And we have to remember 
that actually our position is one of joy. That's, that's gladness because God gets glorified out of this. We come out stronger. We learn a few things. And, and trials will mature us into the image of Christ. God's not sending the trial. He doesn't do that. James goes on and tells you that's not him. But he can use them to change us and build us strong. And, and that has a lot to do with it about what we do in the middle of that trial. And so, you know, if we, if we look at, at what's going on around us, so go to Ephesians 2. If we look at what's going on around us, what we, what we need to understand as believers, and unbelievers need to understand this too, is that the natural realm, the physical realm, is not the only one that exists. The, the physical realm is actually inferior to the spiritual realm because the, the physical was created out of the spiritual. That's, that's your deep bit for this morning, okay? And within this physical, natural realm that we live in, there are spiritual forces that are at work. And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, and you, he made alive, that's you, that's you he's talking to. He made you alive. And look at that, it's past tense. This is something that's already happened. The moment you believed, you became alive. You know, people, just, just so I can nail a few things, because... When you introduce some of the things that we've introduced this morning, people go, well, I'm not really sure of that. So, you know, I'm not sure about that. Here's the thing. We're all on a faith journey. And so we need time to be solid where these things aren't bothering us. You see, I am absolutely 100% certain, not hoping, but certain that if this thing comes near me, it's going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It dies if it touches me because I have the life of God in me. Yeah, yeah. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. That's what God told me. That's what I've learned to believe. And every single miracle that I've seen in my life has confirmed that to me. And this is the time that the church needs to be the glorious bride it was meant to be. And so... He's made us alive. I am alive with the life of God, Zoe life, the same life as God himself has it. His spirit is one with my spirit. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And if that thing's coming near me, it's going to die. Yeah. So I don't have a problem about anything. I don't have a problem about laying hands on people, cuddling people. Well, like, yeah, I'm a northerner, so I do have a bit of an issue about that. But you get the thing. I don't have a problem about any of that. But I want us all to be on the journey so we all come through safe and secure. Because if we kind of miss some of the steps along the way or opted out at some point and then opted back in and all the rest of it, we might have a few wobbles. And some of us haven't actually done the whole journey. You, you, you've just knew. So I want to take everybody with us because it's important we come through intact. He made alive you who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's who you were. You're not this person anymore. In which you once walked, this is who you used to be, according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And just so I'd say that, there's a few things from, that, that come out from that. Here's the first thing. You once walked according to the course of this world. Everybody who does not know Christ walks according to the course of this world. That's why we have this fear. Because that's not of Christ. That's of the course of this world. That's of a world without hope. That's of a world that is limited to the physical and, and, and the fatalistic and all the rest of it. That's what the course of the world is. And that's how we used to walk. But as believers, we have a choice not to walk like that. Now, here's the important thing to understand. It's a choice. Carnal believers will not walk according to the ways of God. Carnal believers just carry on taking everything from the world and worrying about it. And, and, and at this time, that has ceased to be a luxury we can afford. This is, this is a point of life or death. And I'm not talking life or death physically. I'm talking life or death spiritually because some people and maybe a lot of people are going to make decisions in the course of the next few weeks and the next few months that are going to take them away from Christ permanently. And this is a matter of life and death. Equally, some people who don't currently believe in Christ are going to make some decisions in the next, about the next few weeks and next few months that's going to bring them to Christ when they've never been there before. And that's what we're looking for. So according to the prince of power there, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Can you see what I'm saying? He's saying, David, I'm not, that's not saying everybody's demon possessed. Just like get all the wooby woobies out of the way. It's not a wooby wooby moment. What it's saying is that the enemy is actively at work influencing the thought processes and the reactions of people in the world. Why? Because he's their Lord. We have a different law, but he's their law. They might not know it. There's no middle ground. That's just a lie he tells. There's no middle ground. So the, that active influence on people's thinking, people's reactions, people's understanding produces the things that the enemy wants to produce in the world. And the only thing working against that is the church itself and the bits of the conscience that are still left in unbelievers that God put there in the first place. Out of that... The enemy can take a little virus and stop the world. You see, he loves fear. Here's the scary thing. For the first time in history, he's discovered that fear can stop the world. We're in unprecedented times. Because he's just discovered a weapon. And when it works, he's coming again. I'm sorry to give you bad news, but he's coming again with the same thing. And we better be a whole lot smarter. Sorry, it's not me. He said that. You see, he likes to do two things. He's got a strategy of fear. You see, a strategy of fear enables the enemy's plans to thrive. The strategy of fear actually cultivates sickness. You know, I'm not, I'm not telling you rocket science there. Doctors tell you stress, anxiety, all the rest of it produces sickness. You put that on mass, you've got a problem. And so 
he's at work in that. We've got to recognize that. Recognize this isn't just a physical battle, but it's a spiritual battle. And the only way we can fight a spiritual battle that affects the physical is to fight it on the spiritual basis, not on the carnal basis. And so here's the second thing. He has a second strategy, which is to isolate. Because if he can isolate, if he can isolate, he can... (laughs) It's not the moment for my H problem to come back, is it? If he can isolate, he can pick off. I get we have all sorts of words, but we're meant to be a church that gathers together. That tells me that that unless, as a, as a as a pastor, unless I want people in our church to just get started picking off at the edges, we have to keep it together as much as we can. Yeah. We we have to we have to be together as much as we can. Here's something else I need you to understand. This is just like drawing from stuff God's told us in the past. We need to understand faith is a force. That might be new to some of you. Faith is a force. You see, it's not a a physical force, it's a spiritual force that has an effect in the physical. Well, don't believe me. How how many of you know gravity is a force? So gravity is constant, yeah? How many of you know Newton's laws of motion? Every... Every force has an equal and opposite reaction. Okay? Faith is a force. Jesus walked on water despite gravity. Faith is a force. Faith is a force that we use and exert to put pressure on the enemy. Faith is a force that can change the laws of the natural and make them subject to the supernatural. You see, when we we were uh, created, we were given dominion over the earth. And we're meant to exercise that. That's how Jesus could walk on water, because he had dominion over the things of the earth. That's how he could still storms, because he had dominion over the things of the earth. And then he gave his church that same authority. So we've got dominion. That's kind of radical, if you, if you think about it. And I believe that God is calling us upwards to understand the fullness of what he's given us. Here's something else that, Fear is faith. Fear is faith. Fear is faith in something's ability to harm you. Whereas faith is in something's ability to do you good. Fear is the opposite of faith. The more that fear is cultivated, the more that we dwell on fear, the more that we ponder on fear, the more that we analyse every single thing that goes out on the news and in Facebook and in the newspapers and everything that Auntie Florrie said and your best mate Jessica said and your, your, your friend Bob said and all that sort of stuff, we will get dwelling in fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. It will erode your faith. So therefore, you have to think about what you're listening to, what you're watching, and what you're reacting to. Here's my advice to you. Read the Bible. Just read it. Every time you think, oh, I'll just pick up a newspaper, pick up the Bible. 
If you don't know where to go, look up, look up things like healing in the back of the Bible. Look up things like trust, confidence, peace, joy in the Bible. Go read it. There's no bad news in there. Only for the enemy. Here's another statement. It's not mine. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. How do you tolerate fear? By feeding on all those sort of things and saying, it's okay, everybody else is doing it. Or saying, well, perhaps we should just do everything and be hyper-cautious about everything because... That's what everybody else is doing. Without referencing and saying, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do to bring hope in this world right now? You see, we're not meant to be on the defensive at this moment. The enemy's managed to get the church on the defensive. He's done pretty well. We're meant to be on the offensive. We're meant to be reaching out to people right at the mo this moment who have no hope in their fear. Right. See, faith comes from our heart. So we need to know how our hearts are being instructed. And be careful of what we're letting instruct them. Because if it doesn't measure up to God's word, it's bad instruction. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Are you understanding this? Is this okay? Is this helpful? Proverbs chapter 4. I'll start at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. So that's what that means. I'm listening. I'm listening, God. What you got to say? Do not let my words depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Well, there's one set of words you can start with. Go find some more as well. For they are life to those who find them. Not death, life. Life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. There is health in the words of God. The words of God are like little containers that carry everything he intended them to carry. He said, my words won't return to me void, but they'll achieve what I sent them for. And some of those words were sent to achieve your health. And so he sent those words to, to make sure you've got health. Health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. We have to get really smart at guarding our hearts in this season. Put away from, your, from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you. I used to think that was talking about what I had to do. But I've actually worked out that I, I think that's a, that's a double meaning. Yeah. And it means don't mix with these people. Don't mix with people who are saying stuff that's different from what God's saying. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids, eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. 
Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. Right at this moment, we need to connect to the word of God and connect to the Holy Spirit to see what he's saying. It's absolutely vital we hear his voice. You've got to hear that. It's not vital you hear my voice. It's vital you get the word of God and you hear the Holy Spirit's voice. You need to see Jesus right this moment, not, not some preacher and not listen to some TED talk on the internet or go TED talk somewhere else and, and, and some motivational speech that, that might get you through the next 10 minutes. You need to see Jesus and you need to hear what he's saying. You see, when we connect to our spirit and when we connect to the spirit of God, there's something comes into play that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. So that tells me the spirit that dwells within me and the spirit that I can listen to is talking to me words of power. He's talking to me words of love and he's talking to me words of having a sound mind, not a fearful mind, not an anxious mind, not a wibbly wobbly falling over quickly mind, but a sound mind that stands and resists and defeats the plans of the enemy. Here's something that's true. Right this moment, I'm dying. I'm dying every day. One day, my body will die permanently. If God's just changed the time plan, maybe I won't die that way. If he hasn't, I will. Here's the thing. At my age, I've come around to the understanding that I don't care if I die right now because I'm going to heaven. Yeah. See, if I die right now, I go to be with Jesus. Joel doesn't like me talking like that. She likes me to be at home cooking and looking, <laughs> you know, do, doing the stuff and paying the bills. But I said, it's okay, Cheryl. You've been chewed. It's fine. <laughs> But you know, this life isn't it. What are we afraid of? We go to be with Jesus if we die. If we don't, we get to save some people. What's to be afraid of? The only thing to be afraid of is some interruption in our plan for our life. And that's what we're not liking at the moment. Stuff's not smooth. Stuff's not quick. We've got no certainty. We don't know what three months is going to look like. We don't know how many businesses are still going to be in existence. But that sort of thing bothers us. But it doesn't matter. Because we're alive. And if we die, we're alive. Because we're believers. So it doesn't matter. That's why we don't have to have any fear. What's to be afraid of getting rid of this and getting a new 30-year-old one instead of this one? What's to be afraid? What's to be afraid of having more hair? And, you know, like, no grey bits hidden underneath. You know, what's to be afraid? 
It's cool, isn't it? What's to be afraid about having more energy, not having sore knees, and, and all that sort of stuff? What's to be afraid about? Nothing. And it might be coming earlier than I thought it was. So what, what, why are you, you see, we've got to get. The trouble is, we have so downgraded our Christianity that we forgot these, these original things that we understood. We're not living just now. We're living forever. Don't know what to say next. Jesus has some really good words, doesn't he? Well, yeah, sorry, because he does, doesn't he? Here's, here's some good words from, from Jesus, because he knows better what he's talking about than I do. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they? Yeah. We have to trust God. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his height? Just everybody, because I've been talking a little while, stand up. Have a bit of a worry and see if you grow. <laughs> Anybody growing around here? It's not helping, is it? It's not helping small people. Shame. <laughs> okay, you can sit down again. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the ladies who feel how they grow, neither tall nor spit. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in his glory, not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which, today is, and which is here today and th tomorrow is thrown into the oven, won't he look after you? You don't have to worry like unbelievers because God's looking after you. We have, to, we have to start believing this stuff. Otherwise, what's the point if we don't believe it? Because these trials will prove whether we believed it or not. And if we don't believe it and we find ourselves not believing it, what do we do? We run to God, say, this is where I am, God, help me. You see, what he said to James is, is the way that you deal with these trials, these times of trials, the way you come through them. Screensavers, come on. Here we go. Is you ask for wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let he ask God. Let me go back to James. I know where we're going now. We, we're good. We're good. James. It's after Hebrews. Hebrews is a big book. James is straight after it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. That's really important. Firstly, ask God for your wisdom. But secondly, God's going to give you his wisdom no matter what your mess you're in or what a mess you've made of your life. And no matter what you've done, God's going to give you that wisdom because you've asked him and he loves you and he's giving you it. He's not there going, well, I'll only give you it when you sort your life out. No, he's giving you it without reproach because he wants to help. 
He wants to help you in this journey. So ask for wisdom, given without reproach, and it will be given to you. Not maybe, might, but will be given. That's why we've got to spend time with God. How else are you going to hear him give you the wisdom? Rushing around is not the right thing to be doing at the moment. Let him ask how in faith. Got to believe. We've got to believe this stuff. This is what I'm kind of saying to God. God, I've, I've tried and, and I've spoken this stuff and I've taught this stuff now for 13 plus years and I'm kind of hoping it's got in there. I'm kind of hoping we're going to be able to use it now. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed for the wind. Let not that man suppose he'd get anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Now, that's not, I don't believe that that's talking about sometimes you're doubting, sometimes you're not doubting, you're in and out of faith. Faith is something you grow. Faith is something you have in your spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you faith. Faith is something that comes through reading the word. You can do something about faith. Double-minded means hearing the wisdom of God, asking for God's wisdom, and then picking and choosing whether you're going to follow what the world's saying or what you're going to follow what God's saying. You're a double-minded person. You're not getting anything from God because you can't discern what he's telling you. You can't discern the wisdom he's giving you because you're wavering and following the wisdom of the world that is in the sons of disobedience. Are you getting that? That's really important. We've got to follow God's wisdom. Okay, I'm just going to try and wind it up quickly now. This is what I believe that, that God was saying to me, but I believe he's saying to it all of us, that we have to get into gear and get into faith mode. We've got to come up, step up, and get put our faith stuff on. Got to strut our stuff. All that stuff he's been putting in us for years, it's got to come out now. This is the moment. We, we ain't playing anymore. I'd said that I was going to do teach this series again called Bulldog Faith, 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th of April. What's a bulldog like? We, we have a good appreciation of bulldogs in the UK, don't we? Ugly little boys, aren't they? <laughs> little fat little legs and... And girls. Roger worries about political correctness at a moment like this. <laughs> this is what you need elders for, isn't it? Just to keep you on the steady track. <laughs> you know why the, one of the great things about that ugly little face that bulldogs have? is that it allows them to bite down on something, not let go, and still be able to breathe out their, through their nose at the same time. That's why they won't let go of stuff. Like, we've got a dog, and, and she, she likes playing tug and things, but she ain't a bulldog, and you can, get, you can actually win occasionally. Get a bit of a growl if you win, but, you know, you can win. But bulldogs, they just will not let go. And that's what our faith needs to be like. It needs to be a faith that will not let go that bites down on what God says is ours and will not let it go. Whatever we hear, whatever our experience, whatever's going on around us, however close it is, it will not let go. Yeah. 
You see, things that bulldogs do, bulldogs snarl and they growl. How do we snarl and growl? We speak the word. We confess the word. We declare the word in our prayers. That's how we snarl and growl. Do you know how you snarl and growl at the enemy? Do you know how you snarl and growl at sickness? What do you don't say? Dear Jesus, I pray that this lovely person's going to be healed. Jesus paid for that healing 2,000 years ago. You tell them they're healed. You tell them that sickness isn't coming near you. It's not touching your body. I am not having it. Full stop. Susie is not going to have anybody in Adambrooks caring for me. I ain't going there. Here's the other thing bulldogs are. They're aggressive. We need to get more aggressive with our faith. I think we've been passive. The church has been passive. We felt we could just, it'll wait for another day. It won't wait for another day anymore. We need to be aggressive about it. We need to have our faith out there now. All that stuff that we've learned, that we've absorbed, that we slipped away from, we need to stir it up again. Stir it up. Stir your faith up. Stir up those gifts that God's put within you. Here's some things that bulldog faith is. Aggressive faith is. I think we need to understand these things because I think this is what we're going to need. Aggressive faith is relentless. I'm just going to read you something. It's slightly amplified, so I don't, we, we won't have it. Hebrews 10. Let me just find it. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. Let us hold tight on it. Let's grab a hold of it. Hold tight to it. Relentless faith, aggressive faith, is unyielding, steady, persistent. Here's the thing. Faith of a believer sees things differently. This is what you need to hear. A believer with faith does not let the situation put pressure on them. They put pressure on the situation. A believer using their faith does not let the situation put pressure on them. They put pressure on the situation. There's a story I I really uh, like. It's, um, where is it? First Samuel 17. 
ish. There you go. First Samuel 17. I was looking at it two days ago. 48. First Samuel 17, 48. It's talking about David. And the Philistine army is lined up opposite David. And it says, David goes into battle. And uh, it says something just absolutely amazing. that I, It's just got to be us right now in this place we find ourselves in. So David doesn't go into battle apprehensive, worried, concerned. He goes to war. He goes to fight. And this is how he went to war. So it was when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistines. That word hurried means hurtled headlong towards them, waiting and excited about the victory that he was going to have. We do not back off from the enemy. We do not back off from what he's doing in the world. We do not back off from sickness. We head towards it, we defeat it, and we take our victory. You know, we need to stop being people who want to be victorious and not go through anything that we can have victory over. We're going to go through some stuff now and we're going to have victory over it. Do you understand? I think we need to do a couple of positive things because I think we need to get ourselves ready. I do not know what we are going to have to do in the coming weeks. And I don't know how much it's going to cost. But we're not backing off. We're not stepping down. We're not giving up now, etc. 